Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. Join us now as Pastor Keith shares today's message. Well, it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, I have an uh, exciting announcement. Uh, be a little surprise for probably the majority of you, but this morning, Dogwood celebrates the opening of our brand new uh, campus, we call it the South Campus, in Panama City Beach, Florida today. That's where about half of our crowd is, so no, there's no church, they're just there. So, um, tis the season, right? Right? I mean, the Redneck Riviera down there, you know, you just, uh, there's just something, there's just something about lounge chairs in the back of pickup trucks and buildings shaped like ice cream cones that just does it for me, I don't. Yeah, yep, so, but it is, I love the summer ministry season, and I love this, the summer in our culture, and because you, you do, it's, we do get to get away, and I would encourage you, you know, to, to take this time, get with your family, whether you like them or not, and uh, get, get some time with your, you know, extended family, uh, it's, it's refreshing. Also, the summer brings a unique opportunity for Christians in uh, here in our country, for spiritual renewal, uh, spiritual refreshment, because like nowhere else that I know of on the planet, there are uh, retreats and conferences and seminars uh, all over the nation, uh, great, great times for prayer and Bible study and renewal and, and worship. Uh, take advantage of those. Take advantage of those. Hey, plan your own personal prayer uh, retreat. Get away with the Lord. Um, we uh, we'll we'll help you find some of those spots. And um, so, good time. Love summer. Hey, I'm still glad I got out of school in the summer. Aren't you? I like it when school ends. I'm not been in it in a long time, but it's kind of nice. Well, it's great to be here with you. And um, we are uh, uh, continuing in our look at the life of Jesus. And as I thought about his life, this week I was reminded of a need that we have. Uh, we don't like to admit it, but we don't like to ask for help. I mean, we, we don't like to be in a position that we have to ask for help. And that's because we, we like to think that we're in control. We like to think that we are capable of taking care of ourselves in any situation. It's one of the cultural weaknesses of the West and Americans in particular, that we think we can do it. We're independent. We don't need help. But we do. We all, we all face times in life when we need help. Some of them are huge. We find ourselves feeling not only that we need a little help, but we, we feel helpless. And helplessness, it's a, short, it's a short step from helplessness to hopelessness. Because when you feel like you don't, you're helpless, there's hopelessness right there. One step away. One step away. I mean, we're, we're, we all need someone from time to time to come to our rescue. Financially, uh, with our business, with our marriage and family, physically, e- emotionally, spiritually. I mean, we need, we need help when we're grieving the death of a loved one. We need help when we're grieving the death of a marriage. We need help when we're grieving uh, the loss of an opportunity or the, um, uh, the loss of a friendship. We need help. I mean, we are all either in this room, either we are currently 
in need of help and we know it, or we were a little while ago, or one day soon we're going to need we're going to need help. So the question is, what do you do when you need help? Where do you go when you are helpless? Jesus, thank you. That's the spot. Now let's pray and go home. That's the, that's pretty much the answer. <laughs> that's pretty much the answer right there. But I'm going to explain it a little longer uh, today. There is an account in the in the life, in the ministry, in the person of Jesus that um, gives us some insight about what to do when we need help. And it's it was so important this particular. Incident that God the Holy Spirit inspired two different New Testament writers to write about it. Uh, Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark, and Luke, the uh, Doctor Luke, the physician, the historian, uh, the writer of the uh, uh, the Gospel of Luke in the Book of Acts. And so we find it in two places in Mark chapter two verses one through twelve, and we also find uh, an account of this in the Gospel of Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. In fact, that's where I want you to turn today. So if you've got your Bibles, I hope you do. We'll use them every week, uh, hard copy or digital. Uh, turn to the Gospel of Luke. It's in the uh, New Testament. It's the third book in the New Testament. Give you a little time to get there. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. This is God's Word. You listen as I read aloud. On one of those days while he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power to heal was in him. Just then, some men came carrying on a mat a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him in and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the mat through the roof tiles into the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to think, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you thinking this way in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk? But so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Now that, that little title, Son of Man, was one of, uh, one of the titles of Jesus that He was most... Uh, like to use for himself. It comes out of the book of Daniel in the Old Testament referring, prophesying to the Messiah, God who would come in in the flesh. And he, he was identifying as, I am this person, I am the fulfillment of this prophecy. So, so, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astounded, and they were giving glory to God, and they were filled with awe and said, We have seen incredible things today. 
This is God's Word. Well, here's the setting. Jesus was teaching in a town called Capernaum, located on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee in the, north, in the region of Galilee there in Palestine. He was teaching in a home there. And uh, the religious leaders and teachers of the Jewish faith in that region of Galilee from all the towns uh, had come and, uh, to, uh, to hear the teaching of Jesus and to evaluate Jesus and His teaching. Now, this is not necessarily a bad thing on their part. In fact, I recommend it because just as in our day today, in the day of Jesus, there were false teachers who misrepresented the God of the Bible, mishandled the Word of God uh, in the Bible, some of them unintentionally, they were just mistaken. Others of them, quite intentionally, with with various destructive um, motives. And so they were there to, to assess, is, is Jesus legit? Because most of them had come through the formal... Um, let me use the word ordination for a Jewish rabbi process, coming through the, uh, the, the schools of Hillel and Gamaliel, the great famous Jewish rabbis who trained rabbis. Uh, they had kind of been you know, publicly set aside formally by the Jewish faith of the day. Jesus was kind of a self-ordained renegade, roaming through Palestine, declaring himself to be a, a, a rabbi. And so they're coming to... Assess, is his teaching correct? Is he legit? You should do the same thing. Every time that you listen to any spirit, the teaching of any spiritual leader, any Christian teacher at all, you, you must evaluate whether the message is right and they are legit. It's very, very important. And how do you do that, Pastor? Well... You've got to know the Scriptures yourself. You must know the Scriptures yourself. One of the aims of our church is we exist to teach you to feed yourself. You can't be dependent upon me. You can't be dependent upon our other pastors. You can't be totally dependent upon our elders, uh, others, teachers that we have to to always be feeding you spiritually because the, the day may come you may not have access. And so... We try to teach you to feed yourself. You must know the Scriptures. You must read them systematically from cover to cover. You must memorize key passages. You must learn how to properly handle the Word. How do you accurately interpret uh, the Scriptures and and apply those? You need to spend time daily alone uh, meditating the passages. Spend the rest of your life with systematic uh, Bible intake so that when you do hear teaching, one of the reasons I always say, do you have your Bibles? I hope you have your Bibles. I want you to open them. We want to teach you to feed yourself is that I also want you, as you listen to me, to have your Bible open following along saying, is, checking me out. Is this legit? Is this right? So this was not a, this was not a bad thing these guys were doing. However, these religious leaders were skeptics. They had already decided, they had prejudged Jesus, and history shows that they not only prejudged Jesus but as wrong and, and a renegade, but they also misjudged him. They were wrong about it. You know, it's, it's hard when you need help. It's hard to get help when you're a skeptic. The, these religious leaders of the day there in that home did not 
They desperately needed help. They desperately needed spiritual help, we will find out, uh, because they had they were ruined in their hearts. They had ruined hearts. They had ruined souls. They had ruined uh, uh, spirits because of their sin, yet they were unaware of their spiritual poverty. Now, this is a perverted sort of pride that when it comes to spiritual things causes you and me to say, well, I'm fine, thank you very much, but those people out over there, they, you know, they need... They need help. It, it's, it, that's a bad position to be in. I recommend a different one. Let me illustrate it. Over a century ago, in London, England, the Times newspaper, the prominent newspaper of the day in, in London, uh, did a little promotion in their publication. They sent out to well-known writers and public figures... Uh, in London uh, and in the area, uh, a question, and they asked that they that they turn in a uh, their response to this question. Here was the question: What's wrong with the world today? What's wrong with the world today? Well, they got many responses. One of them came from uh, the delightful journalist and author, uh, and and great Christian spokesman G.K. Chesterton. And Chesterton famously sent in a two-word answer. What's wrong with the world? I am. Sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. I am. He didn't have that problem. He said, I'm the the problem. Reminds me of the old uh, spiritual song. Um, It's me, it's me, O Lord. How many of you know that one? It's me. It's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. You know that one? Sing it with me. It's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's... Yeah, it's me. It's me. It's me. Start there. Start there. Listen, if you need help, you've got to start by owning the deal. You've got to start by admitting to yourself your real condition and that you, you, can know, you have to stop denying your need. Well, let's go ahead. The Scriptures say in verse 17 that the power of the Lord to heal was in Jesus. Now, it does not mean that it was just in Jesus at that moment. He said, this is, this is who he was. He had the power uh, to heal. Verse 17, and the Lord's power to heal was in him. And that's a good idea and that's a good thing because there was a man who was helpless and in need of healing. Look at verse 18. Just then, some men came carrying on a mat a man who was paralyzed. This man was helplessly sick, probably had been for years. Now, we don't know very much about this man. This is pretty much all we know about him. We know that we don't know what had caused his paralysis. It might have been a spinal injury. It could have been a birth defect. It, it might have been a debilitating disease of the, of the nerves or the muscles like MS, like some of our own church members suffer uh, with that disease, he, he saw no hope for a cure. He couldn't cure himself. No other human could cure him. Uh, he couldn't even get himself to help if, there, if help was to be uh, found. On his own, he was helpless. Now, he needed help physically. We don't know if he was rich or poor. Uh, he might have been from a wealthy family. It's, it's highly likely that he was a poor man because in the day of Jesus, those who were chronically ill, uh, 
could not work. If they did not have family, they were they, they were they had to beg. Uh, they usually were were poor. You know, our, our economic status does not exempt us from helplessness. I mean, it's a short step from having all we need and life being good. It's just a few steps right right over there to helplessness, to tragedy. It just it's a short short journey, and then a real short journey to being. Hopeless. Uh, this man was helpless to change his situation. Do you, some of you here today, you came and you, you feel like I, I, you feel helpless, and some of you feel hopeless. Do you? Well, it's too late. It's too late to be. I mean, it's too early, too soon to be hopeless as long as Jesus is in existence. Now, it seemed to be a hopeless situation for this man, but it wasn't. Why? First of all, because he had some friends. He had some real friends who were interested in him enough to help him very very good friends now we you know we not only don't know much about this man we don't know much about his friends mark the writer of the gospel of mark in his account of this story tells us that there were four of them one for each corner of the mat uh, all we know is that this man knew these men and they knew him and they cared enough about each other to try to help uh, each other he was helpless but he was not hopeless because he had the right kind of friends. When you need help, you need friends. You need friends. You need the right kind of friends. Now, those great theologians and philosophers, the Beatles knew this. I mean, in two of their hit songs, they sang about this. The first one was, help! I need somebody, not just anybody. Help. You know, I need someone. Help. Yeah, they, 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 they knew that. It's almost like they answered that song with another hit song. I get by with a little help from my friends. You know, you know Joe Cocker actually sang that better. Um, I can't sing like Joe Cocker, but I can move like him if I work at it a little bit. <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, they knew that. Bill Withers famously sang... Lean on me when you're not strong. Okay, you're all in the choir. That was the audition. That was good. That was good. I'll be your friend. When you are, when, when you make, you're helpless, if you've got the right kind of friends, you're not hopeless. You're not hopeless, and God had provided this man with the right kind of friends. The, right, the best kind of friends are those who follow Jesus because He turns them into the kind of people who do what these men did. You need friends who will pray with and for you. You need friends who will tell you about the cure or the source of help. You need friends who will help get you there uh, to the help. And so, so let me speak to those of you who are not yet followers of Christ. It's highly likely that you've got some friend or family member hanging around your life uh, who always wants to keep talking to you about Jesus, who always keeps inviting you to church services like this one, who always keeps giving you books to read or recordings to listen to and periodically asking you, uh, hey, what are you thinking about spiritual uh, things? You might be bugged by them. If you're here this morning, you might be sitting by them. And, and so, but don't be bugged by them. You need to recognize them for who and what they are. They are God's gift 
to you. They are God's gift to you. For they are just like the friends of this paralyzed man who care enough about you not to remain selfish and self-centered and just look out for themselves, but they care enough about you to get involved in your life uh, to try to bring you to the one and the only one who can set you free from the addiction that grips your life or break loose the chains of self-destructive uh, behavior in your life that can give you give life to your paralyzed heart and, and emotions that are killing your relationships with your spouse and your kids and your friends who can remove a dark future from you and replace it with hope and vision, one that will forgive your past and manage your present and give you a home in heaven when you die. That's what they're trying to do. So, so don't, don't be bugged by them. You may not be ready to step across the line of faith in Christ, but don't, don't push them away because they are evidence that God knows you by name and He is pursuing you and He wants you to have all the benefits of living under His care and supervision through faith in Christ. So when you need help, you need the right friends. We call that Jesus with skin on Him around here. It's one of the reasons that we say in our church that every one of us need to join a life group, a small group of believers who grow spiritually and, uh, and serve together, and then to join a ministry team. You need a small. You need a small group. You see, you you need that. Uh, that's we we have those for preschoolers. We have those for elementary kids. We have those for middle and high school students. Uh, we have those for uh, adults. We have men's groups and women's groups and couples groups and uh, groups for marrieds and groups for singles. And uh, you need one of those because you see, the purpose of those groups are to help you to grow spiritually and make great friends. Grow spiritually, and make great friends. That's what we do. In there, because you're not gonna you're not gonna make the great friends in this meeting. Now you'll enjoy some face to face fellowship as you hang around before and after the services, but you need those kind of friends. Actually, if you want to be, I want to be truthful about the Bible says it. This you're not just making good friends; you're ac actually making spiritual brothers and sisters. For the Bible describes a church as a family and speaks in terms of mothers in the faith and fathers in the faith and sons and daughters in the faith and brothers and sisters in the faith. God, God, He turns us in the church into brotherly, to be brotherly and sisterly. Now what I mean by that is this, you know, friends are good, friends are good, but family, they got to take care of you whether they like you or not. And we learn to be family with each other because in Christ... We belong to, if we are in Christ, we belong to Him and we belong to each other. We are committed to each other. We are responsible to and for uh, one another. That's, that's why I say you don't get this from going to a church. I hear it all the time. I say it all the time here. People will ask, where do you go to church? I tell them, I don't go to church. I don't. I belong to one. We don't want you to go to church. You don't get this by going to a church. You, you, you get this by committing to a group of believers to go through life together with Christ and you don't bail out every time somebody belches and it doesn't sound right and run off to some other congregation and mess them up. That's what, you know, so so you, you, we, we commit, we belong, we care for each other. and it, it's, a, it's, it's God's uh, refining place. For the believer, knocking, we knock the rough edges off each other and 
help each other grow in Christ and take care of each other when life is hard. And you need that. Jesus makes that possible. Well, look, what did these, what did these friends do? These friends of the paralytic. Well, they were concerned about their friend and they were determined to do whatever it took to get him in the presence of Jesus. Verse, but verse eight, 18 and 19 says that they tried to get him in the house, but it was so crowded they could not get him in the door. They just knew if they could get him in front of Jesus, something good would happen. Something good would happen, but people weren't willing to give up their space. There, They weren't bad people. They were just trying to get to Jesus them, themselves. And so these guys were willing to then pay the price. They'd already carried this dead weight, no telling how far, to, to get there. I mean, I started to demonstrate what this might be like and lay down on a mat and let four of you try to tote me around, but I don't trust you. So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't do that. But, I mean, that's, that's hard work. So then they get there and can't get in the house, and the Scriptures say, so they said, okay, doggone it, and they went up on the roof. And so that's strange. How'd they get on the roof? Well... The construction of the homes in Palestine in the day of Jesus, most of them had flat roofs. They had an outdoor, an outside staircase that went up onto the roof. And it was kind of, that was their patio, that was their deck, that was their porch. In the hot evenings, they would get up there to get away from the heat inside, inside the house. And, and, and it was covered with roof tiles, the scriptures say here. So even though there was a nice staircase, they still had to carry that fella up the stairs. And they began to uh, approximate where Jesus was in the house, and they began to take off the roof tiles. It was not hard to do in that day, nor would it be hard to put back together. But they did take them off, and they lowered him down right into Jesus. They were willing to pay the price. Let me just say to you, Dogwood Church, you have been willing and have paid the price to do whatever it takes to make room for people who are interested in coming to know Jesus. You have prayed, you have given financially, you have given of your time and your talents, you have, um, you have uh, done this uh, for almost 30 years. And I just want to say, way to go. Way to go. Keep it and keep it up. Don't ever lose this mission. Don't ever lose this vision because remember this year we're, we're saying, so keep on that we're not done. We're not finished. So keep on praying all you can. Keep on giving all you can. Keep on serving all you can and be sure to what? Get off your can. That's right. Just get up, get going, pray, serve, uh, get with it, start running, and then say, okay, Lord, I'm running, so you start aiming me. I mean, get he, he's got something for you t- to do. And so uh, thank you. You've been that kind of church. Keep it up. Keep it up. we got an opportunity coming up, not tomorrow, but in a week. Venture Quest. Uh, we, are, we are taking our vacation Bible school, renaming it Venture Quest, moving it to the evening so, so the daddies have to come. And so, and, and, and the mamas and bring the kids, um, and so, uh, to the park. We're taking it off campus to make it more available. Now, somebody called up to the office and said, whose, whose stupid idea was it to not have a regular vacation Bible school and take it off campus this year? And I said, that, that'd be me. That'd be me. It was me. It's my idea. They're doing it because I said, let's do this. Let's do this. Why? We're going back to our roots. Seven years, first seven years of the church, we had no campus. 
Well, that, we just took it to the streets. We went backyard Bible clubs, took it out to the community. Still the most effective outreach we've ever had in the history of the church. So we're, we're doing it again next week. Now, this requires time. It requires work. It requires people, time, and money, and prayer, and effort. And so you've got an opportunity to do it again. To, to, it'll still be a great spiritually enriching experience for your children. It's for us. But it's also to make it easy to invite your unchurch, your far from God, far from Jesus, friends, neighbors, family members. But come to the park. Come to the park. It's going to be great right in, in Tyrone. It, um, so these guys did not give up. Now, the paralytic and his friends knew that he needed them. But his friends also knew, and he knew, he needed more than just his friends. He also needed Jesus. And you do too. When you're in need, you need friends. You need friends and Jesus. Because this man not only needed help physically, he needed help spiritually. He, had, he also had a ruined heart. Ruined because of, by his own sin. The good news is this. If you have ruined hearts, Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 says that Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through Him. Come to God through Him. Well, Jesus, it's interesting, He was delighted at their faith. They put the man right in front of Him. You see, Jesus doesn't uh, only uh, recognize His physical need, He first of all recognized His spiritual need and knew it was the greatest one. So they brought Him, He's paralyzed, they put Him in front of Jesus. He does not, Jesus does not even acknowledge that the man is sick. What does He say first thing? Friend, your sins are forgiven you. He went, to the, he went to the point, the big deal, the big problem. And our, our, our spiritual need is always greater than any physical, emotional, or relational need. Jesus, Jesus does not just specialize in fixing, patching people up. He specializes in making new creations out of old, spiritually dead human beings. He gives us new hearts. He, he changes us from the inside out and turns us into the kind of people who, 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 who look and act and behave like, like Him. He forgave the paralytic his sins. Friend, verse 20, your sins are forgiven you. Now this must have been great news to the man. Well, the Pharisees, look at verse 21. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who's this guy think he is? Who, they said it this way, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now we come to the real point of the story. Because they're right. Who, who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can? Anybody else? Nobody else. Nobody else. Nobody can forgive sins but God alone. Jesus knew exactly what He was doing. He was revealing to the spiritual leaders of the people there in the house and everybody else, I'm not just some uh, renegade rabbi who has a snake oil show uh, doing a little bit of healing here. That's not me. I'm God. I am God showing up in the flesh. And, and they who can do it? He said, so he knew what's going on in their hearts. He said, so why are you thinking this way in your hearts? What's easier for me to say to this man? Your sins are forgiven? 
and you can't see it? Or is it easier for me to say, okay, get up, you're healed, take up your bed and walk? Which is easier? He said, so that you know who I am, that the Son of Man, I am the Son of Man, that title, I am the Messiah, God come to earth in the flesh, I am the Savior, I'm the long-awaited one, I am, I am Him, uh, just so you know that I have authority to forgive sins. Bam. Get up, take up your bed and walk. Immediately the man got up and he said, uh, he immediately got up and um, uh, went home praising God. Well, I guess so. You know, how did you picture this? He just quietly rolls up his mat and says, excuse me, and just eases out the door. I think he's out of control, don't you? I think, uh, you know, I think, man, I think shocked. Well, you can tell because everyone was amazed, astounded, the Bible says. They were astounded and they gave praise to God. They were filled with awe. Now, evidently everybody, it says everyone, even the skeptical Pharisees and scribes, at that point, everybody was a believer. Everybody, oh, got it. We have seen incredible things today. And it's an incredible thing. When people meet the Savior and their sins are forgiven and they're given new hearts and they're made new creations, the old passed away and new things have come. It's a remarkable thing when you come with help and, 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 and you, you need help and hope for any realm of your life and you come to Christ and He gives it to you. It's a remarkable thing. It's a remarkable thing. And He does it all the time. He does it all the time. All the time. Do you need help today? Well, come to the altar. We're going to give you the opportunity to come to the altar uh, in just a minute. We're going to sing about it first. And so our musicians are going to step on out, come on up. We're going to sing a song called Come to the Altar. And as soon as it finishes, here's what we're going to do. Our pastors and the ministers and our staff members, our elders and the members of our prayer team are going to be here. They're, They're going to line up across the front, down the sides, around the back, some in the balcony as well. And uh, we're going to have a time. If you need help, some of you need to be saved. Some of you need to, to have your sins forgiven, to repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus and surrender to Him as Lord of your life. For the very first time, you can come and tell someone and they'll pray for you and you can pray to receive Christ. Others of you need help. Some of you need help physically. You need physical healing. Some of you need help financially. You're destitute. Some of you need help with your business. It's struggling. Some of you need help with your marriage or your family or your kids or your mom or your dad. Whatever it is, whatever it is, after we sing, we're going to pray. And you can come and they'll ask you, how can I pray for you? You tell them and then they'll pray for you. Come, they'll, They will bring you into the presence of Christ. So Lord, help us now. Help us now to come to You, to not hold back. Help us to no longer deny our need for help. I pray that You would grant us courage to come and be prayed for and to be touched by You. Help us to come to the altar. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you'd like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword dogwood to 779-77. 
or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and more.